Hey, hey, this is Mila Grant from the Cultural Bunker. You are listening to WBTV LP Burlington 99.3 FM, 99.3 WBTV.org to stream. Hey folks, my name is Infinite and for almost a decade I've had the privilege of working as a community organizer on issues related to education equity. Many years ago, one of my favorite community organizers of all time, Bob Moses, warned that in our country we've been running a sharecropper education, meaning that the education we usually wind up receiving in our public schools is largely predetermined and based on the family we're born into. And if we carry that forward into the information age, then we'll have serfs in our towns and cities, just like we had serfs in the Delta, Mississippi during the industrial era. This is the huge challenge facing our country, he said. This prophecy by Bob Moses is now upon us. Welcome to Back to Freedom School, a deeper dive into education equity in the state of Vermont where we'll be discussing issues like school funding, literacy, labor, community schools, and the various ways that white supremacy culture shows up as one of the root problems in our public education system. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. Last time we, we talked, we spent a little time talking about your background and I, I thought that was appropriate and a great place to start just to kind of put into context how you perceive the world, right? Uh, especially mm-hmm. as it relates to addressing white supremacy culture, anti-racism curriculum, uh, all, all that work, um, beautiful work that you've been doing uh, and that some of us have been doing, you know, for a while now, not just in the past couple of years, but you know, for decades. Um, So I just wanted to maybe just spend a little time reflecting on, you know, what that was like for you. Uh, Some of the things, you know, I I sent you to to record and to listen to. um, And, you know, so you got a sense of like, okay, like, this is what I sound like. (laughs) Right, right. Um, There's always the levels of self-consciousness that go into that, those pieces. So that, of course, is like a primary landing of it. And thanks so much for, you know, reaching out again and to continue the conversation you know it's nice to be here with you of course and so what was your what was your first uh my first reaction i was kind of actually thought it took me a little real minute to realize it wasn't an edited version so i was kind of like oh man we kind of were flowing okay i guess if i like took me a minute to even you know feel the weirdness or hiccups of what it is to just you know have (laughs) be unedited and then was, of course, thinking of that, you know, the, the you don't have to look at, right at yourself and listen to yourself in the same way when you're in the moment <laughs> doing it right. and having to to reflect back on it. But that it was really nice to have the conversation. One of the things I was thinking about later, I just to really jump in and whatever is that, you know, as you were asking, like, how do you feel about it and what does it take? And I was thinking about things that I would change or not change. And, you know, and then it kind of struck me like we're, t- we're talking white supremacy culture and decolonization you know of our minds our worlds and lives and everything it's like no I shouldn't even have any feeling at all about wanting to alter anything right in terms of matching what my intent was Mm because that's kind of beside the whole point of the whole point you know it's almost like no anything that would or should stay or that you would have that isn't a hiccup is something that's right there on the table for further exploration if want or need and that's actually to me more in line with how I would want to move than what my first sort of feeling was, which was that like, for instance, putting my dad's given name before his taken African name. Right. And that, and the reasons behind me doing that, but then thinking like, Oh, I don't want people to read into me having centered that in that way. Well, screw it. (laughs) That's how I said it. And so it should be, you know, unpacked if it wants to be unpacked kind of thing in the interest of that's what we're talking about. And that's how we're talking about it. Right. Like why not create space and ability to just, um, without a bunch of hiccups and defensiveness and whatever, like walk forward into what makes sense according to what anyone and everyone wants to bring to the table. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, that's here's the thing. Like, I can't think of one conversation that I walked away from that I felt like I, I had, I, I did perfectly. You know, like I, I can't think of one conversation where I walked away and was like, oh, yeah, I, that, that was 
that was 100%, you know, um, you know, I couldn't have did anything different, you know, instead, uh, you know, there's always something I left out or, you know, maybe didn't emphasize enough. Luckily for us, we get the, you know, we'll have the opportunities to, you know, clarify where we were, you know, and, and we change and we could change our minds, right? Like that's just the deal. And as you say it like that, with the also expanding on, not just my initial thought on like, oh, what would I want to change or exclude so that the presentation that is put forward is more in line with what my hopes are, right? That was that sort of initial piece. But then, right, the just further exploration of ideas and things that we were thinking about. I was definitely thinking on, you know, you were asking a piece about sort of like self-care and or like how do I, not just self-care, but like how do I perpetuate being me in it? And uh, I spoke to a bunch of aspects um, of that, but that it took me listening to it to really think that like, I really didn't center within my organization so much, like how we have built into that, our organization, a structure of accountability for the work that I'm doing that really holds me up and enables me to do it, right? So like I have three partners in building fearless futures and one of them I have a relationship with for a year or two, the other for 10 years and the other for like almost 30 years, building relationship and being accountable to each other and whatnot. And I think I mentioned I'm the, I'm the uh, only white skin privileged person in that mix. And so when I'm doing some of this, you know, really particularly weird or difficult work interpersonally with single white folks or small groups of white folks who are maybe even folks who are like contributing, you know, actively to racist harm kind of thing that not only do I have the benefit of having these incredible friendships, you know what I mean? And like folks to be processing with and, and whatnot, like we actually now within the structure of BFF, like have space where we, um, where my partners are compensated for holding like the space to do accountability and strategy work with me and about like, how am I approaching it? What is my feedback from the interactions I've had and everything? And I imagine that could to some folks feel like, Oh man, that's like a level of oversight or, management or something that you know maybe we naturally buck sort of in life but within a non-hierarchical cooperative and loving element that we have in that place it's like my life long attempts at interrupting racism and and trying to operate in a way that I want to is um, just so much more directly supported and the work that I'm doing is shared by those folks and so I really didn't speak to that piece of how our organization works at all you know like that piece of the work and and then also didn't speak to how important it is in terms of my own like psyche and mentality and ability to move forward and you know and actually just push and try harder all the time like there's it's interesting how as we've like institutionalized right like that work that people who have been my comrades forever have been doing that work with me just in a you know interpersonal relational way now that it's built in it's amazing how like empowered to move further in the ways that I'm wanting to move that I actually am there actually was a level of timidity that I carried into the work when I wasn't constantly having professional interchange about what it was I was doing right so there was always a level of like oh what is real what truly is my responsibility here when there's a fork in the road maybe I hesitate rather than jump down one of those forks because they're both forks that could harm. And I don't know which one is the best, right? Like a uh, kind of thing. And when there's regular work into, you know, what does it look like to do that? How did that move through da, 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 all of, all of the aspects of it, it actually just turns out that I'm more emboldened to make all those moves. Cause it's only so far I can go <laughs> down a branch of harm before it's, it's interrupted. Right. And yeah. considered like, in another way. Yep. So, and so how do you feel right now about uh, talking a little bit about the accountability piece of your work? That's cool. I, I, I mean, I, I think that would be fascinating. Just even what it looks like. I mean, and it'll, it'll look like time to time. So, you know, it's funny. Me and my partner, we also have like personal and familiar relationships. So there's like the bulk of our <laughs> communications, which is outside of the official, like let's realm of the BFF work. But so like, let's say for instance, I'm going to go meet with somebody or a kid who has perpetrated some specific racist harm in the community, right? Mm -hmm. uh, before each meeting with that child or person, you know, we'll have some level of conversation about how would I go about 
this first meeting with them or this fifth meeting for them? What, what, you know, what are the things I would want to bring up or how would I want to approach or what or whatever? And we just kind of discuss that. And if there's anything that stands out as gleaming as like, why would you do that? Or don't, isn't this something else that we should, you know, any of that we get to have a conversation about. And then, you know, I'll move through the conversations or space that I'm holding with the, my white identity sharing folks that I'm trying to like grow with, (laughs) not just to push into growth, but to grow with through this work and everything. And then, so like after that, we'll get on the phone, hopefully actually within some kind of range of time that makes sense, you know, so that everything is as fresh as possible and just kind of move through like what things did we actually cover and how, what, what got us there? What did it feel like when this or that happened? What kind of responses? What am I thinking that I would naturally as the go-to that I would want to go to like in response to things or to deal with the next time. And all of that stuff is just on the table for not only my own experience and brilliances and whatever to be a part of it, but to have at least one, sometimes two of my partners and their brilliances and their experiences and their understandings of things, right. To like inform better how I might approach that at the request of my partner, Russell, we're actually like recording more and more of what we do because you know, so much of what we do is really trying to model rather than preach what the hoped for thing is. (laughs) And that goes to, you know, what I was just saying about why would I even try to have agency over what should be eliminated from what I said, let's just deal with everything all the time, you know, kind of thing. So we're really trying to model that however well we do. We're trying to record as much stuff as possible. So actually when other people agree, and it turns out that there's this one instance is that the dude is actually 18 years old now, but we started hanging out when he was 17. So his guardians had to approve of us a voice recording our meetings. And I think it actually came of skepticism on his family's part about what my ends were and that they were happy to allow the recording because they were recording it. And I think at first possibly trying to find ways to undermine the work or to shut it down mm-hmm. when in fact, then it ended up being that the kid I'm working with and at least one of their guardians is fairly incredibly thankful for the energy that is going into their household and how they're being buoyed up, you know, um, as a part of what it is to look at things in more depth and to be accountable differently, look at your responsibilities differently. So anyway, so then in those instances, my partners would also listen to the actual audio of the instance. So some of them, it's not even my interpretation only in terms of the meeting. It's like, you can listen to the meeting and then we can discuss you know, how it actually went. And you get to hear more of the nuance of everything, right? Like yeah. when you slip in a giggle and you don't know there's a giggle or not, or when you, all of that stuff, you know? Right. Because I mean, you, you bring up accountability and it gets cold, you know, people, uh, you know, you talk about supervision, you know, and people automatically, I think, get an idea of a, a top down, you know, sort of um, hierarchical uh, process. So yeah. I'm, I'm really enjoying you know, hearing that um, there are ways of um, holding ourselves accountable, holding each other accountable, that isn't necessarily hierarchical. Um, so this is this is something that I love to revisit with you, you know, like cool. um, check back in, you know, over and over again, because I think for a- every organization, you know, every uh, institution, uh, this is, I, th- I find to be the yeah. big challenge, you know. Yeah, and, and, it, it, and it's yeah. interesting, because as I think of it too, like, there's so much like trust and relationship building that has so much to do with it. You know what I mean? Like I have also always been, I don't say fearful, but just like, it's like a model that fits with the systems model. I don't like it. You know what I mean? Like I don't, when I think of it and I, and I imagine it only in the terms that I've had it presented to me with or whatever, but really like the, the depth of relationship that I have with my partners and what we've shown to each other in terms of our ability to like grow and push and be means that like, I just feel so lucky to be able to know where everything is coming from. And my partners, with the exception of my one partner that we only have like a year relationship, we, we have yet a lot to build, right? So like a lot yet to see how everything goes and unwinds and everything. But with my other two partners, you know, there's this level of like, no matter what is said to me in a critique, in a critical way, I know that these are people who see and value and love my whole self, right? And like vice versa. And so that's kind of a way when I'm thinking institutionally, that's how do you, where does that come from in a institutional setting? Right. And, but that in this instance, I just is really real that that's like a part of it, you know, part of what's, I can be uh, like solid enough in the most difficult moments or the moments in which 
to my best efforts, I've fallen flat on my face or contributed to more harm than I ever meant to or whatever, you know, is that that sort of root of that thing is that like, I know that the, that the folks doing that work with me are folks that have got um, that just hold me up in their hearts and minds in a way that allows and vice versa. So uh, that, that, that's interesting. It's more than interesting. Uh, that, <laughs> that is, uh, that's where I'd, I'd like to be at some point. And intentionally, you know, I think I have it, you know, I think, you know, I have relationships with folks like that, you know, who keep it real with me and, you know, let me know when I need to shut the fuck up. Um, but it's informal and it's not like, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's not as intentional as, as right. it sounds like, you know, you, you have the relationship that, you know, you're, you're describing right now. Yeah. Um, and it is kind of new to us, you know, it's only a year and a half into this institution of doing it. And we're sort of plugged into other institutions and work, you know, you're dealing within the existence of that us sort of building, building fearless features just out of the history of the work that we randomly do in the world over decades, you know, and then trying to put some sort of little cap or structure to <laughs> it has helped enable and cre- create that out of what you were saying. Yes, you totally have the experience of as well in that inform that's still totally most of our or my history and feelings and experience with that too is still that and that the rest is new on mm-hmm. on on building that specific piece in wrapping up a reflection yeah uh-huh. in previous conversation i remember bringing up and maybe i did ask you directly mm-hmm. about ways in which eradicating white supremacy culture benefits white folks mm-hmm. and and you were like yeah I'm not going to get into all of the books out there. You know, there's so mm-hmm. much, you know, you can, you, you out there for you to yeah. go and look at. Um, and I was like, wait, but <laughs> why not? <laughs> um, so yeah. Yeah. It, poke into that. Cause when I listened to our tape, it was like, I, I felt like, Oh, every time he's trying to talk about white supremacy culture, I mean, he's jumped back to white supremacists, you know, like mm. proper kind of thing. And um, almost like as if I was jumping away from it. So no, I definitely like, appreciate that. And, you know, I wonder if uh, just my own like experience and understanding of whiteness almost is like, it speaks to the decolonizing piece, how uh, the education I was given in a sort of like radical anti-racist sort of like I can say or start from like, I feel so like no self-hatred and, and almost no feelings of guilt and shame. I got bad. Like I actually contributed to some of the worst racist harm I've contributed to like in a long time, like a week and a half ago. And so like trying to, you know, it's one of those, every road has harm. And as I'm purposefully trying to walk the road to least harm, I also get up. So it's yeah. like, not only do you do some harm, but then you do even more harm than like you would have done had you figured it out better. Right. You know, I'm deeply like bummed and regretful. I have work to do to make sure to mend in a lot of different directions part of my ability to continue walking forward and making attempts and trying and being able to actually reflect at all is actually from having like being provided an ability to not feel as insecure, shameful, guilty, all of that stuff around my whiteness as is like expected of me, as is built into me on purpose to be a hang up, honestly, between my ability to just engage, be loving, be respectful, figure out how to move. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah it's almost like we jump into this and it's like, you just gave me a spoon and said like, there's an elephant dude, like go eat it. <laughs> like, I don't know where to start, <laughs> you know? That's a great personal, um, you know, like how, how you were shaped. And I guess for those folks who most, I think most of us who didn't have access to this um, radical, you know, anti-racist like way of, of life, I guess I want to think more about like history, our, our history as a country and like some of the the things that haven't really been held up and, you know, some of the best kept secrets about how we have come to shoot ourselves in the foot, you know, yeah. by embracing, you know, white supremacy culture that yeah. you, you probably yeah. take for granted because that, yeah, that history know. of like coming here as like, you know, what, 1680 it took for whiteness to be codified in law, right? But that's like a mm-hmm. hundred years of, um, of a like rich European experiment in the enslavement of, of African um, First Nations uh, people in the Americas and white poor people, right? Like on the back of a hundred year experiment of like, how are we going to sort and work this out to be most profitable for us? And like the whole 
racist cap racial capitalism history and piece of that right like yeah. using racist violence to um separate and differentiate you know free from unfree labor so that the most can be pulled from all of those pieces of labor right and so then it's like how does that all roll out and map out and to me so much of the white supremacy culture piece is like all of the ways in which that has gotten into our minds the we have to feel insecure about our position in a way that is unrelated to like natural biological experience on the earth and with humans and it's so many hundreds of years that we've been internalizing these directions to feel weak you know and crazy you know the question like how do how is it that white people are harmed by white supremacy culture or how is it that by eradicating it or getting ourselves out of that we are empowered i mean is that kind of what this aspect of this that we're trying to dig into yes so there's right so there's yes. like the material world of like the fact that we've got automated factories and that we're still crying about um central american folks coming over a border like that that's where you know jobs and money is going the fact that like we can look at capital and um products cross every border like it's nothing and think nothing of it and yet like human bodies are limited in their movement on purpose to make sure that we have differentiated access to unlivable wages so that we can you know set into a all of that's like all of the things that we're taught to be fearful of as white people are the things that actually help create a world in which we would be more empowered you know that we would actually have a bigger stake and and more say but it's but it's given to us in this with this blanket of whiteness thrown over us to 1680, you know, covering up every differentiating Western European culture and language that, you know, and, and depth of history of non-imperialistic histories too, you know, kind of thing. Like I know in my household, it's interesting. I don't know if I mentioned last time, like I, I sing, uh, I work out in the woods, and especially when the chainsaw's going, I'll sing loud to myself because no one can hear it, even me. I sing these old like Celtic, like hundreds of years old songs and stuff. They come on the back of my dad who brought me up, raised me being like, you know, I would love to help encourage you to connect to um, some of the cultural pieces that come from people who made you before this imperialistic white bullshit so that you're not limited to think that everything that you are is only under this cusp of whiteness. And how does that harm us today in a way that like, so you have some horrible acting white man, you get a Trump or a Cuomo or a whatever, you know, just being fair politically, right? Across yeah. the thing. And you see whiteness at risk and that you need to defend whiteness instead of letting people be held to account. You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and that you, so even just that little aspect of things, you know, like tying yourself forever to this need to defend this thing is that is not natural to you and which is actually like a, a hobbler of your mental and emotional and future possibilities, you know, so much material stuff connected to that, you know, like yeah. the, the whole history of what it is to be separated from the value of our labor as a set of peoples is like behind racializing our stuff. Like on the opposite side, on the black hand side of that is <laughs> we do just the opposite. We like really, well, at least where I grew up at in Brooklyn, you know, we distinguish ourselves down to the, you know, I mean, uh, uh, you know, there are, you know, uh, Haitian folks who don't want to just be blanketedly, you know, blanketly referred to as black, you know, yep. there are West Indian folks who want to be, uh, you know, identified or, or identify with their national, you know, they, where their family, you know, where they came from nationally and not just blackness, right? So yeah. it's just opposite experience for black folks. In terms out of a same, yeah, and out of a similar reality of that we're, we're blanketing whole groups with race and saying like, I know this about you because you're this, right? So it's like, I could totally see that. And especially as you, you know, as a society denigrate and hold down blackness that like you know differentiating out of that experience either with colorism or you know what i mean whatever is like also i don't know i just don't know what kind of ways and aspects but it feels to me like it's out of that same reality of that thing you know is yeah. like the blanket of whiteness is meant to protect and hide and make you insecure in this way where you never want to detach from the whiteness kind of thing and the blanket of blackness is always um letting you know that you're you're just a stereotype in the mind of the 
broader society, right? That like, I see you coming and you can't actually be an individual person or differentiated at all because I've got this whole idea of you. Yeah. Then being like the same reality, but making people maybe respond to it differently because of the, I, you know, just to bring it home, uh, you know, this, how does white supremacy culture harm us all? Uh, you know, here in Vermont, you know, in particular, where, you know, it's, it's a small state uh, in terms of, you know, its population, second whitest state, some, some years, the first whitest state. Uh, but when you break that down, there is you know, really high concentrations of French Canadians. Uh, there's a significant Irish. There's some, there's some Scottish. There's some English. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a, a mix of people who, who you know, generally pass for white. When you look at the state of, you know, like household median income, um, and you look at like who's the, uh, our political economy and who's benefiting, um, you know, economically, is an interesting picture there uh, because you could take all the black and brown folks out of Vermont and still have an extraordinary uh, amount of poverty. Uh, you know, folks who are not getting what they need. You know, on, on basic levels, right. Yeah. And those poor people without without a framework of like the, the broader white supremacist framework and without having to fear and worry about other, it's like there would be no, there wouldn't be as much space to tolerate, you know, all that poverty existing and how, how do we, you know, as I move through broken working class white neighborhoods, what do I see us sweating, right? What do I see us worrying about? Like not many of the factors, honestly, that are like keeping us impoverished, but like worried about people who share a life of impoverishment with us mm. from different perspectives racially, like from different experiences and lives racially. So it's like, it, it's like not even just if you took out all the black or brown people, there'd still be all this poverty. It's like, it's like if you didn't have the racist constructs the way they were, there's no way that we would all just be miring. It's like, it, I don't want to, it sounds like I'm blaming us for being poor. Um, but, but like, you know, like there would be less mechanisms over our heads confusing or like being the glittery thing to catch our our eye you know so it's just really interesting to me there'd be no one to blame you mean there'd be no one to blame exactly you know like (laughs) and when i'm trying to talk to you know conservative folks who are like maybe like more cop loving and system loving folks and me and stuff you know but just really be like dude ice didn't even exist until what the 90s right and you're talking about enabling whole i mean if you want to talk about people worried about the deep state and worried about the cops and worried about the system you have just enabled brand new agencies to have full realm over 100 miles between the whole border. The vast majority of the, of the U.S. population lives within 100 miles of border because guess what? They count that stuff as the entire West and East Coast. And so only through a racist, fearful construct of black and brown people coming and taking your land and your women and your life and your job, which you don't have enough of any of that anyway because you're poor, right? And so it's that much more quickly that I'm going to fear any of that right. trying to be taken away. And the whole framing of anything reparative as falling within that, as taking something of the little bit that you have instead of building an infrastructure that by emboldening and empowering people that you consider other, you will actually be emboldened and empowered in the mix of living um, adjacent lives to those folks, you know, like as well. And then we don't have to be those and other (laughs) so much. I think that that feels like the perfect segue into the old North End anthem. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and for those of you out there who aren't familiar uh, with the Old North End anthem, I think the, the video should still be up on YouTube. Uh, it's a local guy by the name of Johnny Wanzer, uh, critic of the city of Burlington's mayor. And, you know, just to give some context to it, you know, he's, he's, he's talked about the Old North End. Um, and, and, you know, and cultural, right, as this locate, you know, this, I think I would say mostly quiet neighborhood in, in the middle of Burlington uh, that is being uh, rapidly gentrified and has, I would say, a really interesting mix of people from all over the world who are arriving here um, as uh, some as immigrants through refugee resettlement program, 
some as immigrants, you know, secondary uh, immigrants, um, and families that have been here for generations that, you know, just weren't a part of the sort of, you know, mainstream that rose uh, economically, professionally, um, you know, matriculated into, uh, you, know, you know, the political economy of the city here, right? So this is something I, you know, I told you uh, previously that I've been waiting for uh, stories about Burlington that we don't really get to hear about uh, because mm -hmm. I think the out-facing story of Burlington is really basically made up of, I think, you know, the real estate industry and it's like a church street story. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, I think Burlington has, you know, won awards for being, you know, one of the best cities in, you know, in the country to live and, you know, one of the healthiest cities that's on the lake. You can see the Adirondacks, uh, you know, the bike paths are beautiful. And there's definitely like this image of, you know, this bustling New England city, you know, the, the University of Vermont, Champlain College, you know, it's a college town. And there's always a huge crew of broke folks making it happen and it's not happy for the image. We'll just pretend they don't even exist, you know? That's right. Yeah. That's right. And so in, in, in comes Brother Wanzer, you know, and he's just like taking it there. And, you know, it's, I, I just have to say, like, it's raunchy and, and that I like mistakenly uh, played it in front of my son. Um, and he, you know, he quickly was like, oh, wow, what's that? You know, was really, you know I was like, oh, yeah, never mind. You know, got out, 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 wrong, wrong video. Um, but outside of like, you know, kids who are under a certain age, you know, I mean, I think we've heard all these words before. Right. And so, um, you know, there are some folks who I think are, you know, easily offended by the language um, and some folks who felt like, you know, they were um, confirming stereotypes and maybe that some of them may, who may be even harmful to uh, vulnerable groups. I wish, I guess it was maybe a little longer, you know, it's, it's like a three minute video, you know, I wish it was something like seven, you know, and had a little bit more complexity to it, you know, uh, um, yeah. but I, I I'm not an open critic to it. Uh, it's it's actually something that I'm I'm hoping that inspires other folks, people who live in the community, to offer their own perspective of what you know it it feels like to live in this neighborhood or grow up in this neighborhood. So, just curious if you had any thoughts. Yeah, uh, almost want to like just move forward as though I assume. <laughs> Everyone's just going to hear everything with the ears you'd hope I'd hope you'd hear with. I don't know if that makes sense. I'm trying to figure out, like, pick apart. So, man, it's like I see that as speaking to experience that I know about as a broke ass Vermonter stuff. I just really even just in the refrain and like, sup, dude, good new, like ridiculously speaks to, you know, specifically culturally this area. And I grew up in the Northeast Kingdom. So that whole like North Ender thing, I know it's weird. Like, I know folks are not like don't consider themselves rednecks or rednecky they're like in a city and town kind of thing but I I maybe like lay that on all like Vermonty yeah, broke culturally mostly Euro American versions to this point whatever um kind of piece but that to me like I see everything is cognitive dissonance you know like everything has got good and bad there's not a single thing that's like gonna be free of a bummer so I wish that like when we're making and producing stuff, we get to talk openly about that bummer and then be more able, hopefully, to celebrate the pieces that are cool because we're not covering it up or pretending like it has to be. So for me, looking at that video, you know, like um, I wish that the one black person in the video had some goddamn depth or wasn't put there. And, and I guess the thing I want to talk about or bring into this is like, OK, to make a critique, is that to shut everything down? Is that to cancel or or? <laughs> Or do we actually have the capacity to just be like open in our dialogue? And again, that's to me, the white supremacy right. culture thing is like to be built into you um, a less ability to just take some critique and move with it. Like in right. reading some of the comments from um, dudes, like sort of apology, not apology, just slash sort of like dealing with a public statement. You know, some of the comments were like, you know, how dare anyone say anything to you kind of thing? Well, why does it have to be a 
why dare? Why not like, or like, how dare? Why not people say to you? It's like shows that people are, are listening to your, that care that are actually thinking about it. So for me, I'll tell you how I process do that stuff. I love that video. I thought I love that whole, except not the whole. Okay. The black character, you got less depth than crystal, at least crystal. We understand what the hell she's doing there. Right. So like, really to me, it's as if this great piece of art is made less great by the fact that you're showing some weakness as the person putting this thing together as like a need to justify that you're doing a hip hop thing. Right. Like I'm almost, that's how I'm reading it. When I watch it, I'm like, if that character doesn't have more character and more depth and is doing anything beyond just playing into a stereotype role for you. Right. Then doesn't that in a little bit to me speak to like, you actually could have even more authenticity if that person was actually a character or just, you didn't even need to throw them in there for the sake of having, you know what I mean? Like to prove yeah. you got a stamp of like, I'm allowed to do some hip hop. The irony of that <laughs> is, you know, if I'm, if my mind serves me, if I'm reading mm -hmm. this, got correctly that that brother is a fairly accomplished musician you know bordering on legend uh in in terms of uh the punk scene here on in burlington so, so that's that me keeps, speaking from not knowing what i'm talking about too yeah well not yep. knowing who that person is right yeah that mm -hmm. person right. happens to have like deep roots here and is pretty popular you know um, right accomplished musician so there is there there is definitely he's definitely not random <laughs> no and thank you and then that right that goes to speak to the assumptions that i'm making coming from the northeast kingdom with it and not knowing and being clued into that and then that's my reading of of dude's presentation as wanza right like within the thing so thanks for that and then yeah. like and i wonder too what levels of even within that understanding that I'm not, don't have the understanding to contextualize what levels dude as a white dude is like playing into some stereotypical shit and why bother when we can actually kind of throw out and uh, along the sexual lines, you know, like mm. the, I mean, there's, you know, crassness is crassness, but the, like the whole, I don't know, dude, and girls piece and whatever. And just the whole way it lays out to me, it feels like, though I totally love this piece of art, you know, like that, that stuff to me is extraneous. It isn't actually needed in yeah. order to have all of the rest of the pieces be as rad as they are to have me laughing at the neon, my neons faster than yours. And like, give me the smokes. I know to get smokes. And like, this is how we roll as broke people, you know? So to me, it's like, I want to like, if I were to like chill with dude and have a beer or a coffee or something, you know, hold that up, love your art. Here's all the stuff and, and dig into deeper, like why also then be, to me, it's almost like lazy you know, yeah. is what it feels like. It's like, why, why fall right into the expected presuppositions and the stereotypes and stuff when you're already showing yourself through your art that you're able to totally like bust out of that a little bit, or you're totally able to do some awesome stuff. So yeah. I don't know. I, I guess the other thing that stuck out at, you know, for me, if I, if I, again, I might have to listen to it again. I only listened to it once. It took a shot at Milton yeah yeah what's that about and oh my goodness so dude growing up in growing up in Lindenville it was like it was like we just barely didn't make the list of those it was like Milton and Hardwick and Hardwick then turned into Walcott I think like Hardwick got gentrified enough that like it it no longer was that but all of those like horrible broke people jokes is always like someone from Milton mm -hmm. someone from Hardwick Okay. I'm sure they got a Southern Vermont version of it, but like that was the Eastern and Western Northern mm. Vermont versions as I remember growing up. And it was just like the joke, all of those nasty jokes about poor people being so poor, you know, and I'm sure that in so many communities, those jokes are just totally racialized. Right. <laughs> like as well. And, and all of that stuff that like, yeah, that whole, that whole piece of broke picking on the broker version of the broke you, you know uh -huh. um, it's, it's like, to me, I always sort of like, ah, uh, it's like, both holding your own self up and self-hating in the same moment. It's again, another one of those to me, cognitive dissonant pieces, you know, um, it's just so interesting. Cause in it, cause really you're kind of laughing, like this is us. We're people who are basically right next to Milton and whatever, you know what I mean? Like this, we're so broke that like, you, you know, that they didn't invent the toothbrush here or be called the toothbrush kind of thing, you know, whatever kind of stuff. While at the same time being like, we're not quite as bad, actually not quite as bad as these people, you know, like it, we're just that little, little rung up above. Well, wow, so it is interesting. Yeah, it is interesting because you, you got to go through Winooski to get the cold chest. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. Like, I don't know. I mean, you know, and what, what do I know, man? Like, yeah, you know, I've been here a couple of decades, but 
you know, I, I, I grew up in a different, you know, I mean, we did do that, you know, from neighborhood to neighborhood, you know, right. uh, and, and we had, luckily for us, we had hip hop. Um, we actually had that. We grew up with that as a means for claiming pride and, and where we were and, um, and also, you know, a nonviolent way of digging at people, <laughs> you know, coming at people. So, I mean, I, so I appreciated the, that part of it and, and, and wish and hope and pray uh, that someone from Milton comes back. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, with the, Create with the some answer. rad slapback piece of art, yeah. You know. Yep. It, yeah, no, right. And then, yeah. Did you ever get to see, there's this like one minute video, 45 second video or something that was, I saw it on Sean King's stuff. It was a TikTok guy. It was like this white bearded middle-aged dude talking about how, how white pride doesn't make any sense. Right. And he just in a minute really breaks down why, yeah, you know, see. oh, it's, it's really, it's really pretty great. And it's, I mean, I can't do it justice and I want to, but it basically, he's speaking to like, dude, you don't have to feel small by not going out there and purposefully trying to have some white pride. Like there's plenty of things and ways to be prideful and happy and proud of your shit without falling victim to this thing. And just because you see that, um, you know, people need to have pride outside of whiteness around some racial and cultural, shit, right. Doesn't mean that you don't have any access to the stuff. And dude speaks really beautifully to it, you know, to different aspects of how culture is stolen or not. And, and about the experience of, um, you know, black power, black pride coming on the back of thieved ancestry. You know what I mean? A thieved um, access to even knowing who your peoples are. Dude kind of speaks in it to be like, dude, you can have pride in all kinds of stuff. You know what I mean? Like you can have pride in like regional stuff. You can have pride in cultural stuff. There's so many accesses and things that are real, but like this blanket of whiteness is just some destructive, nasty, evil stuff. And it actually is meant to layer on and take away um, the things from you that if you felt more confident in them in your own self, you wouldn't have to look on the one hand to whiteness to feel prideful in, and you wouldn't have to look outwardly to thieves culturally from folks mm. as much, right? Because that's part of the thing of whiteness. Oh, what? I don't actually have a cultural thing because I'm meant to be blind to my cultural background and blind to my racial experience. And so it sets me up as more likely to want to thieve culturally and uh, appropriate, right? So yeah. basically when you can be pumped about where you're from regionally, Right. And, and we often dude, this is so crazy how deep we could get into this. We often see this with like in a majority white population in Vermont, some of the regional you see is some like country rednecky, which we automatically have assumptions with being extra racist and only racist. Right. And that is that is much deserved, actually, in a bunch of cultural iterations and how it comes out. It mm -hmm. also happens to be that it is showing a a region of people or a subset culturally of people sort of like churning up and in, in themselves to create, you know, sup, do good, new, like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. ways of speaking and being and doing that actually create room to grow away from whiteness. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like kind of makes sense mm -hmm. in that way, yeah. like to the extent that you can be prideful in things that have meaning and directly related to your own life. That's you know, right. the more that you create space to not have to glom onto other quote unquote people's cultural shit and steal it. And you don't have to say, you know, why are you allowed to have pride that I'm not allowed to have? Well, don't have pride in something that you, that's going to destroy you. Like, you know what I mean? Like kind of thing is all that's being asked. It's not being asked of you to like not have, not be proud of your accomplishments and of who you are and all of that stuff, you know? So I feel like there's so many ways it swims through and layers that just dude making this kind of art, right? Yeah. And then again, it speaks to me like I want it to be just the best. Shit. I don't want it to. Why feed into some sexy shit when it doesn't need to? You already showed me with this piece of art that you shit is it's beautiful that I can like I can laugh along to it and be like, no, shit, I'm seeing me. I'm seeing broke ass me from even the kingdom growing up. Some aspects of that, you know, <laughs> going to the corner store for smokes and Mountain Dew, which, you know, like all of that. So yeah. that since you've gone there and you're showing such a great move toward building some cultural shit that actually can be something that helps us grow away from whiteness and shit, yet we also then get lazy and fall into it with some sexy shit. And, yeah, you know, you know. I, you know, I'm going to, I'm actually going to give uh, Wanza the benefit of the doubt that he's, he's a young cat with uh, not, uh, maybe not a ton of people surrounding him that he can relate to in the way that we're, with, with the bar that we're trying to, you know, hold him yep. to, you know, yeah. like it, 
we're in our 40s, you know, like, and we, yeah. and I think we, we've had, you know, I, I think, I do think it's different coming up in the 70s than it was for, you know, him coming probably in the 90s, you know, if that, you know, maybe even the two, I, mean, I don't know how old this, this person right. is. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give him the benefit of doubt that if he has access to, you know, a more critical, more reflective, and even material needs too, right? Like, you know, you know, it's, you know he, you know, looks like he, he, you know, he's he can use, you know, some some dental work, right? Like, I mean, I can relate to that. I just came from, you know, the, the dentist yesterday, and and that's mm. a real thing, you know that. Dude, that's a real real thing, dude. You know, I'm that, I'm like. Just to let you know, I'm missing four permanent teeth on the back of that being broke growing up. And actually until, oh God, until into my thirties, I actually had decay on some of my teeth. You could see from smiling mm. such that, um, you know, it's fine. I remember somebody in my family being like noticing, noticing over the course of my early twenties that my smile had changed. You know, yeah. I know dudes, I'll see dudes with a certain kind of mustache and I'd be like, nobody, that mustache is to cover up some of those teeth you know what i mean so we can actually not have to change our smile as deep when that shit is humongous uh, anyway i just wanted to like put because uh, thank you for like stepping in there with like hey i'm going to give dude the benefit of the doubt it makes me hear some of my comments as like right 40 year old luxury trying to position myself in this podcast thing as the cooler white dude or what all of that bullshit <laughs> right kind of things so, like thank you for <laughs> thank you for stepping in um with that one and also i didn't want like a us recognizing that for real peace um to come across in this instance as though we're like laughing at dude at all like that right like i know you saying you just came from the dentist and me talking about that experience in my own life is like um yeah that uh, um i see myself there more than i would otherwise see me kind of thing and that's right anyway yeah lovely and that's, I, I really and that's why we're you. talking about it that's why we, you yep. know, that's, that's why i felt like you know we, we this deserves some air time i think um yeah you know outside of the, the, you know, the comment section, you know, the, the, um, yeah. you know, the ah. tweets and the Instagram uh, posts, uh, which is hard to keep up with. And, and it feels like so much of the whole thing for me, you know, it's like, man, I, I would just love to hang with dude. I just can't even picture any layer of conversation that we'd have about stuff that wouldn't be cool to have, you know, like kind of thing. And in that cool conversation that I would love to be like respectfully, whatever, would be critical evaluation of stuff. I mean, she almost like should always be. It's like, why not sharpen as we go kind of thing, but that we have this like way that it lands. And I feel like it's just, oh, it's so not even like when we, not even to say like to cuss us out for doing it wrong. It's like, sometimes we do it wrong, but also just communicating across whatever spaces, right? Is yep. what I'm kind of speaking to. But that also we have such a history of doing it wrong. And, and now that this whole, cancel culture thing is being milked for all it's worth you know what i mean like um you know to really frame everything as like a, a um being against people's ability to just speak freely and to be and to do um i just i don't fall for that as much you know what i mean when i look at what <laughs> when i look at the cancel culture of of uh you know corporate interests <laughs> what they do to the law and the landscape you know when i look at what cancel culture is about like how you know white folks in power do with access to votes and access to resources and stuff like no i just can't get i can't put a bunch of energy and attention into that but we're all putting a bunch of energy and attention into that so i almost feel like i wish there were more opportunities to model what it is to be in fully respectful dialogue while pushing like part of respectful dialogue is to push actually if i don't mind I'll anecdotally throw something here that my biological dad who made me what spent 30 years in prison and died in prison. Right. And so prison is an incredibly disempowering place to be. And I'm speaking to you having spent a little bit of time. Um, and so, you know, I remember him saying to me a couple times, cause it's hard to believe, honestly, it has to be like, you know, due to say, no matter what you got to say, please just directly tell me with no sugarcoating and nothing. Right. Like there's, you know, step on my toes, you know, like whatever I'm, this place is so disempowering, right? Everything comes through some layer of sorting and sifting and whatever that like, you know, that's the highest level of respect that I could possibly ever feel from you. Mm -hmm. Right. And so for instance, this is a dude who dedicated his life to 
uh, anti-imperialist cause, anti-racist causes, and actually gave his life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in terms of white dudes out there in the world, like whatever, like dude gave up all his shit on the back of trying to go there. He was telling me a story once about his youth where I think he was trying to process with me or whatever. And he had acted out some racist shit in a way that super disappointed me, man. It really, I think that like was really interesting how we processed, you know, out of that. And it was like a weird space to be in. And all of our communications after that, you know, were my dad being like, oh my God, dude, I just hold you in so much higher regard than I even did before. Because instead of just feeding me a line or instead of just going along with my ask emotionally or just you know what I mean? Whatever you said, no, this is how I really feel. This is let's analyze it in this direction. Let's whatever he grew. I grew. We got to have this thing. So it's just interesting to me that out of the back of how disempowering prison is, this dude built a thing in him where he like really wanted no sugar coating. And he didn't just say it. He really meant it. And it was a part of what it meant to feel loved by you and, and respected by you. And so like I kind of try to carry that into the world. Like I would love to have more spaces in which part of you and I demonstrating to each other that we're completely safe with each other that I am yeah. trying to feed into your sh- is to tell you you're an idiot, you know, right. and, or this or that is how I feel about things and not have it be some overall statement of your whole human self, but as a purposeful sharpener. And again, goes back to that, like, you know, the opposite of love is not hatred. It's indifference kind of thing. Like, yeah. you know, at least with the acted out hatred, there's some level of thought that you're giving someone almost, or like mm-hmm. they're, taking up space in your mind whereas there's a level of indifference that is needed to really like fully cancel out or next level out someone's humanity that's right that that, there's levels to it man and i'm i am grateful to you know be going in all the directions we you know we go in so thanks for the conversation and the realness and everything and i feel a little bit like it's funny coming from the kingdom speaking out of turn with the whole north end thing and whatever so i just i feel like i want to just humbly put that out there like not knowing the the artist there you know for one and yeah. also just sort of like that little bit of cultural apartness from being sort of more country in the vermont experience of my brokenness you know yeah. so thanks for like just the la- letting me come in to um to the conversation it. you know about you got it. No worries. I hope it's the, you know, the, the, the beginning, just the beginning of many to come. All right, brother. Appreciate you. Thanks so much. Love you, bro. Love you, man. Take care. Thanks again for joining us. If you have any questions, thoughts, or suggestions about anything you heard, please feel free to reach out. You can contact me at infinite at voicesforvtkids.org. You can also visit our website to learn more about our work at voicesforvtkids.org. Shout out to Mike Device with the Thomas Instrumentals and Athena with all the technical support.